0: Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters. Great to have your company this week. We're jumping all over the place this week with a bit of property news as there's a few things going on that are of some interest including uh, a little bit on solar power, a little bit of mega landlords buying up mum and dad investment properties, how difficult it now is to get a mortgage. And how a couple have ended up getting two houses for around $550,000 and what we could learn from that. So we're going to uh, start with a story that I found really quite interesting to do with solar. And this article was in Stuff and it says that a $100 million world-leading solar plant will be 50 times bigger than any in New Zealand. And New Zealand's biggest solar power plant will produce enough electricity to power 30,000 homes, and allow electric planes to recharge. So the $100 million plant will cover the equivalent of 262 rugby fields at Christchurch Airport. Alongside it will go green fuel production, data centres and vertical farming. Announced on Wednesday, the whole precinct will be known as Kofai Park. It will be built on 400 hectares of airport land just west of the airport's runways and terminal and to be scaled up over 30 years. The first tenant will be Solar Bay, an Australian renewable energy fund. Solar Bay Investment Director Jack Sherrett said the project was innovative and far ahead of its time and absolutely world-leading in every sense. So within two years there will be solar panels installed and that will achieve the target of generating 150 megawatts of electricity that's enough to power 20% of Christchurch homes within five to seven years. Pretty impressive, I'd love to see the plans for this one maybe it is on stuff or maybe elsewhere just to see how it actually look. The flatland uh, is in a sunny spot near Orion's Line Network and Transpower's National Grid pylons and it's really an ideal spot there. The power would support the airport plus businesses both inside and outside Coffey Park and could feed into the National Grid. The Christchurch Airport Chief Executive Malcolm John's uh, talked about having the power power plant there and the ability to look at uh, buying aircraft powered by hydrogen, electricity or sustainable aviation fuels. So that's where, uh, as those sort of technologies come on board, they'll be well placed for those in the future. Really pretty interesting indeed. Um, I think of the large solar farms that they have in parts of America and they really do uh, look stunning And it's great that that can just work uh, with probably more or less efficiency uh, all year around. So I'll just talk a little bit now about the market. And new house listings soar to the highest level in seven years, according to Miriam Bell from stuff.co.nz. The property listings website, realestate.co.nz, recorded just shy of... 14,000 new listings nationwide in November up from 11,000 in October and that's a 9% increase on the same time last year and the most houses coming on the market since October 2014. The total amount of houses for sale also went up. There were 19,000 houses on the site in November just to use round figures and that's an annual increase of 5.1%. In most regions, the total stock on the market rose in November and some had large increases compared to the year before. So here in Manawatu, Wanganui, the amount of stock on the market is up 70.4%, while Wairarapa and Wellington were up 63.5% and 58.3% respectively. Even Hawke's Bay, Marlborough and Otago had noticeable increases. So you could wonder why this is the case. Well, part of it is that it's seasonal, It's seasonal that many people bring their homes to market in the spring or summer. As well as that we had a lockdown which meant that the people wanting to come on during spring found it more difficult to do so. Uh, But there is definitely something happening with the market because even in Auckland uh, there's a 4.5% increase on number of properties when compared to last year. Remember though the, the numbers of properties have been incredibly low For a long time now, so any change would be quite dramatic in terms of a percentage. Yet, as those numbers increase, that will lessen off. So the latest listings and stock figures were encouraging, according to the chief executive of realestate.co.nz, Sarah Wood. She said, the first time in years, the total housing stock was heading in the right direction, she said. Not only do they mean more buyers will have more choice over summer, but they could mark a turning point for the market. They're an early indication of more housing availability to come as housing consents are at record numbers too. Stats NZ figures show we have consents to build homes faster than in the 1970s which indicates an increase in supply for property seekers in the future. More homes need to be built to get on top of the housing supply and affordability challenges and if new planning rules enable the estimated 48,000 to 105,000 homes to be built the country was on the right track. That's according to Sarah Woods. However, at the moment, more houses have been coming on the market and prices are still rising. So uh, that's where, according to realestate.co.nz's figures, the national average asking price still went up 3.4% to a record 969.604 in November from the previous month. So that's not an annual change, that's a monthly change. So still uh, the price is now relatively uh, very high compared to where they were this time a year ago and that's here in two Wanganui, I haven't got it in front of me but it's around 30% increase so uh, the having more homes coming on the market will mean that the rate of rise will decrease. Yet or 2 is still such a positive place, there's still so much going on in terms of large projects. Even if things slow a bit nationally, I think we will be uh, still having properties in strong demand in this area. Now I'll move to the couple who have just bought what they are calling plug-and-play houses. (laughs) And this article says, plug-and-play houses make great sense for young couple in Martinborough. So Jacob Emery and Teresa Ross, according to the article, have grand plans for a tennis academy in Martinborough, but they have to get two houses trucked from Auckland and weather that stops them in their tracks. And there's various pictures of this in the article, including heavy snow, so they've had fun there. Now the idea of these plug-and-play houses is that they're pre-assembled and then moved onto site. So the house has carpets, a kitchen, bathroom, and no painting needed anywhere. All the relocators have to do is plug in the water, sewerage and electricity and they're good to go. Now it's not just one house they're getting, it's actually two houses relocated and installed for $550,000. The main house is a very large four bedroom house and the other is a two bedroom fully self contained guest house. Sure, you don't get the character of an old villa or the high stud, but you don't need to wield a paintbrush or replace rotting weatherboards. And while the old villas are stunning, they do soak up an awful lot more money, and it's ongoing. So Jacob and Teresa and their dogs live in Wellington. They love the idea of a rural life but don't want to buy a farm. Martinborough, with its vineyards and olive trees, has caught their eye. So Jacob's a uh, top tennis coach, and Teresa works for the Ministry of Education and They're wanting to build and make uh, clay courts for a tennis academy. The nice thing about Martinborough, I'd love to live there myself, it's a quaint little village, has a microclimate with the perfect conditions for grape growing, but seemingly also, uh, coincidentally for these folks, for very good um, tennis courts, apparently. Who knew that? I had no idea. Anyway, moving the the house, uh, or the, the houses... And getting those two for five fifty—I mean, that's that's really quite incredibly done. So it's still possible to get some interesting uh, solutions to to housing as well. Buying a section and spending some money to get a, a pre-made house put on—certainly uh, a possibility. Talking about putting properties onto land or, or plenty of properties onto land. There's been more news about the bipartisan housing deal. Now this is the deal that National and Labour were doing prior to the change of the leader of the National Party to allow more building to happen in a more concentrated way and up to three storeys tall uh, in urban areas. So, however, now that things are, remember, it's a bill. It's called the Townhouse Bill is the um, slang way that they're talking about it. And so the Townhouse Bill is a bill, which means it gets thrashed around a bit, some questions get answered, and then uh, there may be some changes. So it says here that Labour and National are set to weaken their bipartisan housing bill but not give control back to the councils. A large part of this was to overrule barriers that councils would put in place the two parties struck a deal to pass a massive change to New Zealand's zoning laws, allowing three storey three dwelling buildings on residential land in major cities without resource consent. This would remove much of the controls those councils have over stopping things like townhouses being built and it's estimated to allow up to 105,000 more dwellings to be built in the next eight years. That's what I was referring to when we were quoting Sarah Woods in the uh, previous article. Councils and residents' associations up and down the country have attacked the bill, with some saying, saying it will ruin the character of neighbourhoods and lead to slums. So the Environmental Select Committee will be meeting about that and issuing a final report. There has been wide speculation that National in particular might move to significantly weaken the bill, given ACT has been campaigning against it, and some MPs have expressed their displeasure of how far it goes. Staff understands the changes set to be agreed on by Labour and National will result in amendments to the medium density standard at the heart of the bill but not a wholesale back down to local authorities. Councils would not be able to decide where to apply the standard being forced to apply it to all residential land that is not covered by what they're calling a qualifying matter. And they will not gain vastly more discretion to use arguments like heritage or infrastructure provision to stop development. Height restrictions in relation to boundaries will be reduced so that neighbours won't lose as much sunlight and that's something which did occur to me uh, when I heard that they were able to build up three storeys high was the blocking of sunlight to other properties. The outdoor space requirements for ground floor units will also be increased meaning gardens will not shrink by as much. However there is a change uh, and this is one that doesn't reduce the freedom to build the setback from the street will be reduced that's the amount of land between where the uh, between the street and the building so that it will allow buildings sit closer to the street now these changes don't preclude further changes in future as the select committee has not reported and the new amendments could be proposed at the committee of the whole house but housing advocates urged National to stay on course on Wednesday after comments by new Deputy Leader Nicola Willis about local authorities needing more discretion worried them. Eric Crampton, who's from the right-wing think tank the New Zealand Initiative, said losing the bipartisan consensus would be a shame and would encourage bad development. If everyone expects that the next National Government would repeal the legislation, that creates a strong incentive to get buildings built before the councils regain the easy ability to block new developments. Act has been strongly campaigning against the measure, arguing councils need more funding to build the necessary infrastructure and that the deregulation would create chaos as people bought into neighbourhoods not expecting the rules to suddenly change. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes as well. But we're going to take a short break now. We're going to have a little bit of music here on Property Matters. This is Rolling Stones with Honky Tonk Woman. We're back here on Property Matters on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo, Irurangi, or Ngā or Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson, lovely having your company and there's just a bit of rolling stones there just to uh, get things cranking along. What I was going to talk about next though is really slowing things down and this is the extra scrutiny now required for people to get a mortgage. And it's uh, based on the idea that nobody really wants to overcommit financially and make themselves vulnerable when borrowing for a house. And the government has uh, stepped in. They've made law changes which came into effect on the 2nd of December, which impacts on anyone from first home owners through to those in their 50s who are obtaining finance. And this is an opinion piece by Katrina Shanks called Want a Mortgage? Get Ready for Extra Scrutiny from Stuff." She says we know young Kiwis are feeling locked out of the property market right now and the changes along with rising mortgage rate interest rates that is may make them feel like the first home is never going to be achievable. The changes are to the Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act and these result in lenders having to apply more scrutiny to mortgage applications and provide more tests to determine the affordability of loans. This means you'll have to be more prepared to demonstrate you're capable of good financial behaviour which shows you're able to service a mortgage. you'll need to understand every line in your bank statement on where you spend your money weekly, monthly and yearly and this is pretty incredible because and I've said on the show before that there's a major lack of financial literacy in this country it's not something that's taught in schools so for people to know exactly what all their spendings on would be an interesting thing. So it will be interesting to see if these changes do impede 1st homeowners owners applying for a mortgage as the policy changes are far-reaching. And then if you combine these changes with the Reserve Bank's minimum deposit requirements and there is no doubt you need to be well prepared before you go to a mortgage advisor or bank. Minimum deposit requirements mean you must have a deposit of at least 20% of the value of the house you are buying before a bank will approve the mortgage in almost every circumstance. Only if you have a higher income would the small deposit be approved. So all of this means that banks and lenders will be looking very closely at every detail of your financial well-being. Remember, they need to know if you're able to serve the mortgage because if you can't, that causes them problems. They want you to succeed because that way they succeed too. So here are some things to think about that Katrina says in this article to prepare you for this extra scrutiny. Set a budget and monitor yourself against against it. You need to know exactly where your fixed and variable costs are, what you need to have and like to have expenditure looks like. Look after your debt. Make sure you've paid off as much debt as you can, pay the credit card on time and reduce your short-term debt such as some of these buy now, pay later purchases. And again, I've said on a previous show that the effect that those can have on your lending is really quite substantial. A lot of people don't realise so if you have excess funds left over after every pay and that will show you have emergency money and good financial disciplines. Look at your income wastage, how much money is going on non-essential purchases you might be able to plug to get your savings looking better. Think about protections for your income such as the income protection policy. All of these things are giving surety uh, to the banks or, or more confidence in lending to you. So if you're looking at some big life changes, such as having a family, make sure you have a plan for the extra costs and or reduced income that come with them. You could always have a peek at your credit rating and see where you're sitting. If need be, make sure you're paying all your bills on time so late payments do not affect the rating. Be in the correct KiwiSaver plan for you and ensure that you're saving the maximum you can. It's easy to talk about being prepared when you're looking to borrow money, but it can also be the beginning of good financial behaviours that will have a positive impact on your lifestyle into the future. Put a plan in place and chip away at it until you achieve it. Initially, it may be just about understanding where your finances are at and owning some of the decisions that you've made. Then start by making small changes and over time they can add up to a big impact. So, for example, Black Friday's just been and gone, did you purchase anything? Was it a must-have or a like-to-have? Did you purchase it on buy now, pay later or on a credit card because you did not have the funds available? Looking at the purchase now, do you regret it or think you could have spent the money more wisely? The first change you may make may to be not to go to sales or shop online, so you're not tempted to buy things you don't want or need. The writer of this article says... She regularly has a look at where I'm spending her, where she's spending her money, and regularly tells herself to make small changes. So, in the words of her financial advisor, keep on reviewing what you're doing and where you're going, and as circumstances change, review and change with them. So, some good advice in there for people that are helping to to get underway. Now, finally, an article about which is entitled Mega Landlords Could Grow As They Snap Up Mum and Dad Investment Rentals. Now what annoys me a little bit is the language that the media uses sometimes. They're running a whole series on stuff about mega landlords as if um, this is a common thing. Just want to uh, remind you that actually the average number of properties per landlord in this country is one3 So this mega landlord situation is really something that's pretty much overblown. But nevertheless, this article is by, according to James Wilson from Velocity, he talks about housing data and looks at what the next five years could look like for first home buyers. Medium and large investors are expected to increase their property holdings in the next 12 to 18 months as mum and dad investors start selling up in the face of rising costs. Now that's a comment straight away I'm not sure I agree with because why would you sell up if it's still a very good uh, investment? But anyway, following discussions with a number of large investors, James Wilson, head of valuations at the property data company Velocity, says there is an intention emerging to grow portfolios off the back of smaller investors selling up. And there may be a whole new breed of mega-landlord on the horizon. Auckland University economist Robert McCulloch warns first-home buyers may face even wealthier competitors as banks look to become buyers purchasing homes directly rather than offering mortgages in order to capitalise on runaway capital gains. Banks in the UK and USA have already started buying up residential property and at least one of New Zealand's biggest banks, ASB, has taken notice. Wilson says discussion with investors... Suggested heftier tax bills resulting from the ending of mortgage deductibility and the rising costs from the likes of healthy home standards were expected to impact smaller investors the hardest, and that is the extreme majority, of course. As they get rid of investment properties, it's likely that many will be snapped up by eager first home buyers. But Wilson says larger investors generally treat their portfolios like a business. This meant they often have more funds and reserves and are well placed to acquire stock sold by smaller investors. So if we look at a situation where somebody's got multiple properties, let's say they've got 10 properties and all of those properties have gone up by 10%. Now they can take all of those bits of 10%, which is 100% of value of buying a new property. So when you've got multiple properties, you don't need large rises in the capital value uh, in order to buy more. So even if you had a few properties that have gone up 33%, then you've got effectively 100% value of a new property. It doesn't quite work that simply but that's the idea and that's why these landlords with multiple properties can come in and buy quickly properties that others are selling. So Auckland University economist Robert McCulloch meanwhile warned that banks and other large institutions may start purchasing property directly rather handing out the mortgages as I mentioned before. This is already happening in the USA and Britain where it's reported Lloyds aims to be renting out 50,000 homes by 2031. It's being the bank, of course. The big fish are thinking, why should we let this first home buyer buy something which they're going to double their money on in the next five years? And the banks are thinking, why don't we double our money on it? They're thinking, we should have bought this place instead of them and just rented it to them. And there's very little that can be done to stop the buy-up if it starts, McCulloch says. Uh, they can't ban them from buying that asset. So an ASB spokeswoman said the bank is aware of banks in the UK and US starting to buy residential property This approach is not something we're actively considering at this time, she says. However, we do provide a lot of support for social housing developments and regularly lend to developers specialising in housing builds for New Zealanders on lower income. Westpac, ANZ and Kiwi Bank all say they don't invest directly in residential property and have no plans to do so. But McCulloch says pension funds and asset managers may also join the market and this does appear to be happening. A recent announcement of the country's largest build-to-rent scheme by Kiwi Property hinted that building to hold rather than sell was becoming a more attractive idea, McCulloch says. Developer NZ Living also recently announced a partnership with KiwiSaver provider Simplicity that would make the new entity uh, the country's second biggest landlord. Then they talk to Andrew Sowery who helps manage Senate Investment Trust which is estimated to own between 50 and 200 properties and he agrees with Velocity's prediction and says the trust remains an active buyer in the market and and that there's a buy-at-any-price mentality created by so few properties hitting the market. He describes large portfolio holders such as Senate as uh, quintessentially the people the government talks about when they target the property industry but says they're probably the only ones impervious to all their policies for some of those reasons I said before. That's because small investors struggle to foot the bill of rising costs, but big investors have the equity and reserves just to carry on. He says, on the whole, Mars and Pars are willing to bend with the wind, but now the wind is so strong the tree would snap. So Sauri says, many small investors are now at that breaking point. It made them sit down and say, why are we bothering? We might just get out, take the capital gains and go and buy a jet ski. So that's something there uh, to think about. Will we see some of this buying increase? I can't see, uh, from a business point of view, why banks and uh, managed funds wouldn't buy property considering how well it performs. So that's uh, all we've got time for this week. It's been lovely having your company here on Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. You can find this where all good podcasts are found or just by listening regularly to one or two people's radio, npr.nc. Thanks again and have a great week. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.